going back to the stats, you know, it's just uh, in my practice, like I said, you know, I see 98%, um, 90% of the time people I'm working with, whether men or women endure some kind of sexual trauma in their life. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Out of that, every nine minute is a child. It could be yours. Just because we are in denial or just because we don't want to talk about the, this topic because it's big and bold and heavy. And, you know, we think, oh, this might not happen to us. So let's just deal with it when it does. And a lot of times, even when it does, we don't know what to deal with our emotions because we are brought up in a culture where we don't talk about emotions or emotions are equated with weakness. So, you know, just everything that goes on around this topic, I just think that it's really important that we uh, teach our boys, we heal ourselves and just start this process early on and not be so scared of it and come from a perspective of let's start working on ourselves so that, hey, there is help out there. You don't have to suffer through it all by yourself. Um, just Welcome to Dads and Deadlifts podcast with me, your host, Rich. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts with me, your host, Rish. Today, we are continuing the conversation with Gunjani Patel. So without further ado, let's uh, welcome Gunjani once again to Dads and Deadlifts. Gunjani, second time. Yay, so happy to be here. I feel very honored. <laughs> hey, you should be. You should be. Your episode is probably one of the most downloaded episodes um, in my uh, podcast. Oh, uh, and uh, And uh, rightfully so. You, we covered really good topics uh, about how uh, men can actually work together with the kids and how things work out and what's the value of trauma and therapy and how everything goes hand in hand. And I want to continue the conversation. Uh, I definitely uh, see that your podcast is up and running now. Yes, thank you. Uh, so traumatic much. Transformation. About, yes, so yes, guys, yes. guys, go and listen to her podcast. It's filled with amazing, amazing interviews. And she does some solo uh, sessions. And those are like filled with, you are basically getting a free therapy session. Otherwise, <laughs> you'll have to, uh, you have to pay Gunjani for that. But right now, she, her solo sessions are literally uh, sometimes some stuff I'm listening. I'm like, wow, these are like a free therapy session right there. And of course, you have to do your work, as I said, all the time. But yes. 
Yes, and that was actually the intention of the show. You know, I didn't want the show to be therapy, but I believe that the work that we do outside of the sessions is just as important and crucial to the healing and the recovery and just mental health awareness process. A lot of work that I do is, you know, just um, very based on psychoeducation. The more we're informed, knowledge is power, right? So it's really important that the more we're informed and educated about things, the more we expand our perception and you know, the self-limiting beliefs that we grow up with. Um, and then we can pay it forward because I'm very big on epigenetics and intergenerational trauma. And especially as it relates to sexual trauma, I believe that, and with PTSD, especially, um, you know, it's in my practice, just to give you some stats, I just went through it in my own podcast. So, uh, uh, a little bit of a background on sexual trauma on men. And I just interviewed an amazing, amazing athlete because, you know, men are athletic. They're in the in little boys, especially they're in the whole athletic world. And if we don't pay attention and I, I find tend to find this topic very big and bold. So if we don't pay attention to some of these things, just thinking, oh, it's not going to happen to us. Uh, it happens. Uh, and when it happens, it can be very detrimental. 90%, 98% of the people that I work with, um, and I treat, you know, depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, and grief and loss. So very intense things. But most of my people, whether, you know, and I'm an EMDR trauma specialist. So um, I've been doing this for almost 10 plus years now. And one of the things that I find is we, whether we start processing people's divorce or, you know, relationship with their kids or whatever they come in or whatever, you know, the, the, the place that literally triggered and exploded everything in their lives. Um, at some point when we go back, even with men, and they're very high profile men, they're very high functioning, you know, physicians or CEOs or executives. And I'm just going to keep this specific to men since um, it's relative to your audience. But I, I obviously I see this with women too, but I'm just making sure that men hear this because, you know, when we appear high functioning, a lot of the times, some of these traumatic things that happen in early childhood really, really, really catches up and compounds over time, if not treated or healed. And it is, you know, 50% of depression, anxiety, and trauma, like I was telling you in my last episode, they are genetically inherited. So if we don't heal or do something about it and just think, oh, we'll just mind over matter and think ourselves out of the trauma, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. No matter what you try, it might work temporarily, but over time it catches up when other things are, um, you know, when other things are triggering or when other things happen in your life, so to speak. And going back to the stats, you know, it's just uh, in my practice, like I said, you know, I see 98%, um, 90% of the time people I'm working with, whether men or women endure some kind of sexual trauma in their life, every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Out of that, every nine minute is a child. It could be yours just because we are in denial or just because we don't want to talk about the, this topic because it's big and bold and heavy. And, you know, we think, oh, this might not happen to us. So let's just deal with it when it does. And a lot of times, even when it does, we don't know what to deal with our emotions because we are brought up in a culture where we don't talk about emotions or emotions are equated with weakness. So, you know, just everything that goes on around this topic, I just think that it's really important that we... Uh, teach our boys, we heal ourselves, 
and just start this process early on and not be so scared of it and come from a perspective of let's start working on ourselves so that, hey, there is help out there. You don't have to suffer through it all by yourself. Um, just find the right person to help you through it and teach your children so you can keep breaking the cycles and keep you know breaking the intergenerational trauma that you pass on to your kids without knowing what this is all about. Wow, that was I, mean, long I, I read that statistics uh, a long time ago, actually, and I got I to gotta put that out, too, because uh, I was waiting for this episode, and I, I have the statistics somewhere written down around the world actually, and with the global uh, who actually is it. I'm pretty sure it's from who. And, there is who statistics. There's statistics from UN because UN covers globally. I just did an episode. Mm-hmm. I did a whole bunch of research. There is American organization called RAINN.org, and really important because they list all these statistics in terms of men, women, and everything in America. Um, And I'm just talking about the reported cases, especially in sexual trauma. One of the things that happens because of, you know, um, the stigma associated with it, half the time, it's not even reported. Like the men that I work with, they don't go out there and report when their neighbors are, and 90% of the time, it's the people that we know. So Mm -hmm. it's someone in the family, friends, neighbor, you know, dads, stepdads. I mean, it could be anybody. So, and there is so much embarrassment. There is so much shame associated with it. So even if, so one of my biggest things that I tell parents or tell in this, in this case, dads, and even with my husband, we have this talk where we have a two and a half year old. He can, you know, he, he has a good vocabulary. So he talks a lot. And even at this age, we teach him and I and I've left this whole sex sex ed thing with him with to my husband not because I don't want to do it I do it in my ways he does it in his ways because men and women have different vocabularies and our ways of connecting to our boys is different and even with our girls I think it's really important that we talk to them about good touch bad touch if somebody and and make it specific and playful to them you know there was a really good um program i saw at some point of our of my life where there was a school who was actually in kindergarten teaching them through play and nursery and stuff as in good touch bad touch if he touches you here not good if he touches you here not good oh this is good so make it fun and not so intense but yet they know even at that age where somebody should not be touching them for how long, all of those things are important because we don't talk about consent. We don't Mm -hmm. want to talk about this topic, but this is a very important uh, topic for ourselves and for our children. Just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But if we teach them and keep keep an environment where, hey, if anything happens, I just want you to know that mommy and daddy will listen to you. We are here Mm -hmm. for you. We love you so much. And we don't want anything bad happening to you, okay? Sometimes bad things happen and that, that's okay. So just teaching them in a way where it's not you know, so heavy duty, but just teaching them and making them emotionally intelligent about what to do with certain things when they happen and being emotionally intelligent yourself so that you know there are certain emotions in you, that you feel they're big and heavy, that you're aware of where you feel them in your body, and then you know how to manage them as mm-hmm. opposed to just ignoring them, repressing them or resisting them, thinking it's never going to happen. Or if it does happen, being so fearful that, oh, no, trivializing when the child, no, nothing like this happened. No, they can't do that to you. No, that, that I, I, I can't believe you would say this about the person who did that. That's not the language that you want to use or, mm-hmm. you know, more shaming and more um, guilting the child 
they're already embarrassed but man you know there's a whole thing about man up so it's like already even at six how can you be a man at six how can you protect yourself from someone slamming you against the wall how can you do certain things i mean there it's 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 very not intentional when they come and tell you and one of the bit worst things that they can do is not believe them you know mm -hmm. it's just nobody want to make up this kind of stuff it's it's mm -hmm. when kids go through this they don't there's this is not something that they make up and especially if it's someone they are related to so it's really important that you know you believe them you give and not tell them what you want in terms of fixing but just be opening open mm -hmm. to listening that you know what what would you need for your healing? How can I help you? And when you are the parent and you feel your big feelings, go to a therapist or go to a coach or go to a friend or go to podcasts or people like you who have been through issues and talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Find yourself support so that you also deal with your heavy feelings when your children come up to you and open up about some of these things. Because at some point of their lives, there will be triggers that will lead them to remember because a lot of times PTSD doesn't happen just right after some kids or some people will remember it in their 20s in their 30s in their 40s 60s that does not mean that this because they didn't speak up for this long it didn't happen it's mm -hmm. just that sometimes PTSD is triggered month after the event or it's triggered years after after the event so it's really important to know that nobody makes up these kind of things it's it's not a joke no, it is. And uh, I mean, really, I mean, several things that you covered here. One of the support group, like, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in that, like, you know, because otherwise people who have gone through it, like myself, it's easy. Mm -hmm. uh, it, one, it's not easy. What I meant by is it's easier to talk to because we mm -hmm. have gone through that. And mm -hmm. uh, well, you've you know healed it from feels. it. That's why you can talk to it. If and you then have now healed. I can now I can actually talk about it and actually help them. Even if I can't, then I know the resources that I've used or Absolutely. I can know other person that I can refer them to. One of the big things that you just talked about is I want to kind of touch base on that. Sure. Is uh, the, the, the trauma and the trauma of like good touch and bad touch and, and teach mm -hmm. them the importance of teaching the kids like even now nowadays my son's gonna turn three in a few weeks and i actually showed them like you know i, I basically talked to him like you know he knows yep. his body parts as it is no uh yep. weird glamorizing glamorizing in a baby language it. he yes. knows his body yes. part as it is and that's yep. how they should be yep. and i actually told him that what's what's up no one should touch your private parts yep yep except uh, daddy and mommy period yep. Yep. There, there's no other rules to it yep. and uh, after and as you said like how long and because i know for a fact sometimes in daycare and all that they might have to change their uh yeah, underwear they do but, yeah but the the thing is the time duration and the fact that yes. now his his clicking yes. i'm happy that his his brain is clicking so he yeah. asked me nowadays after a while like it's a good touch i'm like mm -hmm, it's perfect a, you know it is and it's yes. a daddy he's like yeah and then he shakes his head he's like but Dada and Mama can do it. I'm like, yeah. absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else, you need to so let true. someone know. Yes. So this, these, no one teaches you these things. In our generation, and nobody did. Like no my parents did. teach me this. I went through it, and I'm just like, uh, mm -hmm. this came out when I was in my late twenties with my therapist, and mm -hmm. 
they were just like, what? Like, yeah, because we didn't talk about touch. We didn't talk about, and you know, one of the biggest language is, and also when, you know, um, I, I talk about this because when I was graduating or going through school in North Dakota, in terms of, you know, my um, counseling program, there was a guy whose sister died because of rape and he made it the mission of his life. Um, to go out there and talk to high school kids about the importance of touch and sexual education. We get sex ed, but that's like sex, a, sex ed 101. I want the G-rated version where you teach your men and women that consent means no means no. If she says no, even if you're going to take her to a prom, don't just jump on her, ask her, it's, is it okay to mm-hmm. kiss her? Because hormones fly at that age. And if she says no, it's a no. And that's one of the things that he was trying to teach that, you know, in adolescence, it's important to talk about for men to be taught that, hey, ask for consent or, you know, just be forthcoming and ask if she's okay. And for women to be allowed to say no, if she's not okay. And for men to respect that a lot of times in South Asia or in India, the culture is, oh, she shouldn't wear short skirts or she shouldn't wear this. She's asking for it. Nobody's asking for it. You shouldn't need to know how to keep it in your pants if mm-hmm. she doesn't ask for it. She's not asking for it. So be the whole idea of consent and will is also important to explore with your children because sex can be a beautiful thing. We don't talk about it enough because we make it so negative and yeah. so derogatory. And how did we all come into place? Billion people don't just happen. Yes. You know, so it's really important that we make not sex a bad thing, a beautiful thing, but a beautiful thing with respect, where there's a lot of kindness and where there's will and consent, then it can be amazing. But boys and girls, they need to be taught the importance of will, good touch, bad touch, consent, appropriateness and inappropriateness of that entire thing. Just because we don't talk about it and they figure it out on their own, sometimes they can hurt each other trying to figure it out on their own. Right. No, I agree. Wow. So let's let's kind of switch gears here and the the clients that you uh, work with. And I know we talked about this modality, and this is something that I haven't checked out myself personally, but of course I read about it during my healing process. Yeah. Uh, EMDR. So yeah. let's kind of get into that. And uh, what is that? Uh, I know you said you were practicing this, and what's the success rate? I know there's a lot of back and forth, like a lot of debate uh, in the media on that too. So how about we kind of talk about that modality and uh, go from there? So one of the things that I found as a part of my healing, um, you know, like I discussed in my last episode, when my my program required us to go in therapy and explore what that was like, um, you know, before we started seeing people. So we knew what it was like to be on the other side of the couch. And I don't know how the way the divine connection would have it. My therapist, my psychologist ended up being EMDR trained and I was working with her for a year because I had a lot going on in my life and I was completely in denial about it, but it was the most beautiful healing experiences. I wouldn't be who I am today as a clinician and as a person if it wasn't for that experience. Um, so I, 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 the treatment modality is called EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. You can go on my website. It's www.gpatel.com counseling.com slash EMDR therapy. And I've been practicing this for almost over a decade now. I'm EMDR one and two trained. At some point, I want to be certified in it and want to teach clinicians to be trained. It's a very specific 
trauma treatment modality, which is very empirical at this point and evidence-based that it has been used for almost 50 years now. So the psychologist came up with it. She was a clinical psychologist in 1988. She came up from California actually. And she came up with it just as a, almost a serendipitous uh, treatment. And now we have like 50 years worth of empirical research on it. And over like, I think 2 million people have experienced it and you know hundreds and hundreds of therapists globally actually um i know some emdr therapists in india that practice it as well so it's it's now a global phenomena for trauma treatment specifically it was originally started for people who came back from combat but now it's used for anything and everything um related to depression trauma ptsd anxiety um phobias you know you people have all these phobias of heights and airplanes and this and that um phobias adhd personality disorders dissociative disorders body dysmorphic disorder, so all kinds of anxiety disorders, so all kinds of things. It's an um, inter-hemisphere like, um, and a cross-modality treatment. What that means is that you have, so I'll just get into a little bit of what I tell my, in a layman's term, what I tell my, and it's not the only treatment for sexual trauma, but I find that to be the, one of the most effective. It was useful for me, and then I've been doing it for 12 years, I mean, now, so I absolutely love it, but I understand that it's not for everybody, and to me, just like trauma lies in the eye of the beholder, healing also has to be a pre-treatment or a modality that you, it works for you so there you know there is this brain spotting there is emdr there's all these traumatic i mean somatic treatments which are body uh interventions so all these different treatments that are really well studied for the treatment of sexual trauma because one of the things that happens with sexual trauma it's when when you go through certain deep traumatic events in your life they are etched in your subconscious. So when I was talking to you about the interhemispheric uh, approach that EMDR uses is that you have a left brain, which is your prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain, which is responsible for judgment, decision-making, logic, you know, math, engineering, very analytical part of your brain. And then you have a right brain, which is, you know, the deep, the amygdala, the hippocampus that has the, the memories part of your brain, the cingulate, which is the emotions part of your brain. So all this right side of your brain, which is very creative, intuitive, emotional, um, you know, uh, part of your brain, uh, the feelings part of your brain, the imagination and creative part of your brain. So what happens is that when we feel trauma, um, amygdala, which is like the fight or flight response, um, certain memories, all parts of our brain, first of all, are affected. So it's not just in our mind that, oh, this happened. Your brain physically changes. They say that people who have experienced PTSD over time or stress responses or have been through traumatic events, if they don't manage their stress or if they are triggered all the time, parts of their brain shrink. They've done fMRIs on people and they've seen that their hippocampus, which is the learning, because a lot of times people have foggy memories or foggy, they can't think you know, straight, they can't focus on things. So a lot of the parts where hippocampus, because it has like all this cortisol that, that your body releases and then it shrinks it over time. So hippocampus, amygdala, amygdala is like the fight or flight, the fear part of your brain. So some of these memories are just stuck and like paralyzed in your brain. So if you don't, subconsciously go in because talking about it 
it's like saying, oh, you know, um, your car broke down for, for, from a man's perspective. Uh, a car broke down, you just go and run a diagnostic on it. You know, it's not starting. Okay, talk therapy is running a diagnostic. You still have to fix the problem if your car is not starting. You know, it might be the battery, it might be the spark, it might be, you know, the starter, all these different things that are affected as a part of your car not starting, you have to fix it in order for your car to run. So some of these EMDR or somatic treatments or, you know, clinical hypnotherapy, all of those things affect the subconscious or the right brain that also have to keep going that are affected as a part of traumatic events. So when, when the idea of EMDR is to move your eyes left and right, left and right, when you move your eyes left and right in a session, I have all these videos on my website that you can go read and stuff. But when you leave, move your eyes left and right, you trigger both your left and your right hemisphere, which is not just the thinking part of your brain, but also the feeling parts of your brain and your subconscious parts of your brain that are affected as a part of the traumatic events and the memories that happen. You know, the, 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 I won't go into other details, the neuroscience details of it, but the idea is that when you move your eyes left and right, you neutralize, you don't forget that the events happen, but you lose the charge that was associated with these events. You, you absolutely lose all the emotional charge that was stored in your right brain because you are teaching your right brain relaxation responses. You're teaching your brain, you know, how to not be triggered and stressed all the time because they're dysregulated as a part of traumatic memories. And you teach them to balance out and become in harmony. And then you bring them up to date with who you are today. Because what happens when you go through some of these deep traumatic events, you're, you still get stuck back when around the time when those things happen to you. So let's say if that happened to you around six-year-old self, your those six that that six-year-old self the inner child needs to be healed in a way that you know the way you know not life now the way you know safety and protection now they didn't feel that when they were there their brain capacity and the bandwidth was very short and small so they felt helpless they felt um overwhelmed they felt in danger they felt all these things as a result of going through this trauma so when we go through emdr we teach so the whole idea is i don't make my patients talk when i'm going through emdr process because one of the biggest things that when you're not trauma-informed therapy or when you're not trauma specialist, one of the things you, you can end up doing is by making people talk about certain things when they're not ready to talk about certain things, you can re-traumatize them because they don't know, they have to relive it all over again. You don't just talk about it, you feel things when you're talking about it. And that's one of the reasons why we, I don't make my patients talk about it. I go through this entire process of having them move their eyes left and right and do all of those things in their mind. There's a whole set of things that I make them do in, as a process of do, processing all of that happen in their mind by moving their light, eyes left and right. So it's neutralizing, but it's all happening because sometimes you can't talk about some of these very deep subconscious sensations and feelings that you are feeling in your body. Words doesn't do it justice. Words is the last thing we form, the perception and the beliefs we form about that event is the last thing that happens. All these other you know, reptilian, primitive, right brain, subconscious parts of your brain are very triggered as and when it's happening. Even when it's happening, you're not talking about it. Don't do this to me. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, you wouldn't be left in that situation. You are just dealing with it, sitting there frozen and not knowing what to deal with it. So it has to be processed the way it happened, so to speak. So 
um, at the end, if my patients want to tell me and they're open to talking about it, then great. I want to hear their stories. But one of the last things I do is make them do anything that they're not ready for or talking about certain things that they're not ready for or details that it's not going to benefit me or them. The idea is not to know. If they want me to know and they feel healing and they feel heard and validated, all for it. But I will not make them do anything that they're not ready for. I don't know. That was a lot. So. No, no, I, I think it's it's good because that's, of course, I mean, uh, it, it's not just like going to be uh, covered in one 15 oh. minutes of, the, you know, like uh, yes. the whole episode that we are talking about. But I wanted to get an idea, like uh, my listeners to get an idea what EMDR is. And a lot of people don't know about this technique. A lot of Absolutely. people, now that they are aware of it, they can go and actually learn and they can go on your website. And as you said, there are videos. And of course, I'm going to put the link and everything on my social media and on the podcast uh description i have a blog on it i have an entire page i have all these frequently asked questions i mean i've been doing this for a while and anyone that walks in my door 99 percent of the time are going to go through emdr if they're just here to talk to me about it i'm not that gal um so i just want to make sure because a lot of times some of these deep attachment things that happen developmentally in the young years of our lives or just some of the hardcore things that start happening in our 20s some people's 20s are not as easy as you know when you go to college and start becoming your adult self some sometimes that's not easy for some people so i really like to address trauma from a very not subconscious perspective. And it's not like it's like hypnosis where you just like, you don't even know what you're doing. You're very present, you're very active, you're very awake through this entire process and you know exactly what you're doing. I just recommend my people not to do it on their own when they're at home um, to do it with me. But, um, you know, having been done doing this for a while, I have literally virtually processed people's rapes over EMDR virtually telehealth and in two sessions, I mean, it really depends. I'm not saying going to say that, oh, it absolutely works. And that's how it is. Uh, but for certain people, it works well. And the time of how many sessions it takes, it's hard to tell. It depends on how you process. It depends on whether this process is working for us over virtually or working for you in period. You know, like I said, there are different modalities doing different things. So it really depends on the person and the whole experience. And just because I am EMDR trained, I do it in a certain way. We're all EMDR trained. We do it, we all bring our own flair to it. So even though we follow the protocol that we are trained in, um, more or less, it should look the same, but different practitioners do different things um, based on what how they, you know, perceive the, thing and their interpret I mean their flair um into the whole experience so that's just as important no I think like uh, you brought up a very good point as um healing is also in the eyes of beholder because everyone heals differently everyone process and just like anything else I mean anything else in the in this life right like every it's so that's the biggest variable we have yeah that uh I can see something completely different perspective versus you can and the the talk therapy is good but i also felt this is why i did hypnotherapy because you know if it's underlying subconscious trauma for me that was for most people sometimes it is sometimes you just don't even know i mean you're just constantly saying the same narrative if someone asks you how would you go to a different narrative it's very hard i feel like i kind of explained that to uh, my therapist after a while that i feel like i'm just I had this narrative in my brain and that's it. Yeah. I cannot yep. go break that shell to get yep. into the main narrative. Yep. And that's yep. when she uh, said, that's, you know, when hypno- that's why we have to do this subconscious work because right. you have the narrative 
And there's a whole process to it. Like, you know, when the amygdala is triggered as a part of our fear center or the first thing that's triggered as a part of the trauma, it takes a while for that message or for that feeling or for that sensation or for that neurobiochemical reaction to get all the way to the prefrontal cortex because it's so dense and thick uh, as opposed to all these other things. And even the, the memory part, which is the hippocampus part, it's like a part that timestamps memory. So every time we recall the memory, the long-term memory, it's a different detail. So sometimes we don't know the details. A lot of times I, I hear a question where it's like, oh, it, there, there were so many years I, I was able to repress it just fine or didn't think about it. Why is it coming up now? It's still there because it was not processed. That's yeah. why it's, it's coming up now because it was stuck. It was frozen. And then there were triggers that just made it surface. Uh, for me, for me, it was my son. And as yep. I said in the last yep. episode with you, is it's like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I already knew it, but I never yeah. cared. But I, you don't think about it because you know. you're like, oh, it's not affecting me because mm. that's our body's way to cope. That's our body's way to say nothing happened. That's our body's way to still live and be alive. That's our body's mechanism of, you know, d defense mechanism of being able to function with when, when we're six, that's too D big deep or when we're younger it's too much to handle so we don't know what to do with it so we just forget about it and that's one of the criteria of post-traumatic stress disorder which is ptsd is avoidance numbing dissociation not feeling certain things not feeling into your body all those things are a criteria for that disorder i'm not into labeling or i don't like you know the clinical aspect of but i, I believe that there is um there is a place for it it helps us determining treatment on what's happening and you know if they've started general population going through the same thing that means it is happening so that's that's how it becomes a diagnosis but the diagnosis is not to label you the diagnosis is to figure out oh my god you're going through all these things let's help you heal from it and treat it because there is treatment for it so having said that uh i have one a few like last few a couple of questions uh, to end this episode i really want to kind of keep focus and not divert and i want this episode to be really focused on this modality and the sexual trauma what would you suggest for um adult men and uh, of course mine was a trigger um, right. but if someone wants to consciously work and trying to understand and uh, and I was lucky that, you know, I got the trigger. I, I tell people I was lucky that my son was born and I actually worked Most on it. Most people have I'm, triggers, Rish. Most people will have triggers, whether they, they at some point or, or, or the other, they will have triggers. Because like I said, the, com com the um, trauma compounds with time. So even with like um, EMDR treatment, it, we almost look at it as a tree, you know? that you have a huge tree. It's not like when we go through the treatment, we just chop off the tree, the whole tree falls off. We have to take care of the root of the issues. So that's why I say that whether it's, you know, a, a dysfunctional relationship or whether it's a breakup or whether it's alcoholism or whether it's something or the other, the presenting issues or the trigger can, or the presenting issue at some point of our life can look very different, but at some point it goes really back to some of the early things that we have experienced in life. So what would like, I guess I don't know how to frame this question. Let me think. Uh, okay. So what I'm really trying to ask is young men, boys, mm -hmm. I mean, they're already confused. I mean, in our yep. teens, we're already confused. Yeah. Uh, what can we do as parents yep. or even as individual uh, for yep. young men uh, who is listening uh, to con connect with them as parents, for example, if you're a parent of a teen or a boy, like who is like, uh, and then how, how, how do you help them? 
Got so there's it. a whole concept called conscious parenting. There's a really good psychologist. Her name is Shefali. I, I, I can't remember her last Do- name. Dr. Shefali. Yes. Yes. She's really good mm-hmm. about, con- she's really big on conscious parenting. And she talks about how, because a lot of times we grew up in, you know, if, we, if you grew up in a um, South Asian culture, especially in our parents' generation, there's a whole concept of if the child came into your life, you know, it was like, they were your objects. You treat them like things. Like I tell you, you do it. And it's like, uh, oh, okay. In 2020, that doesn't work. The, the idea is to include your children in your parenting we might not, and especially if you live in America, it, you know, it's like if you were living in India, the things are so different and the people's mentality and mindset is very different there, even though it's emerging and now changing. The idea is to include your children in raising them. So giving them choices, teaching them independence, connecting with them as opposed to telling them what to do. Because a lot of times we're telling, and my sister has this running joke where she's like, strict parents make lying kids. If you're going to be strict, guess what? they're going to go out there and do it. You are just not going to find out about it. We both did. So, hey, you know, so it's like, um, it's really important to know that they're going to do things. Why not be a part of that journey with them? You might not agree with them. So I'm not saying, you know, if you're a boy, teenager wants to go out there and have sex and, you know, go crazy to be okay with that, you're not going to be okay with, but he's still going to go out there and do it, whether you like it or not. So, the idea is to connect with them, have this real talk, and just not ignore the topic of sex and, you know, be open to some of the things that they might be going through, but educating them of the consequences that they might face as a result of it. And if they have faced these things, be like, hey, I just wanted to check in with you as your mother, because that th- this is exactly what I plan to do with my son at every stage of his life. As in, if there is anything that you're going through, that I might not agree with, or if I've done to hurt you or shown you in any way that I'm not open to listening, I always want your feedback in telling me that, what can I be doing? Is there anything I need to know that is troubling you? Is there anything that you are struggling with? Is there anything that I can do to help you through something that you might be going through? Include them, have these conversations. That's how we teach communication. A lot of my times, Couples come to see me because number one issue, communication. We learn to communicate by communicating, by practicing, by teaching and including other people in. So the whole process of communication looks like not jumping in to say, you know, what you have to say, but just being able to listen, to being mm-hmm. able to hold space for things that you might disagree with, by being able to thoroughly talk about things that you might not be okay with. But that's how we teach emotional intelligence. That's how we are conscious in parenting our children and open to listening to what they have to say and including them in the parenting as opposed to telling them, hey, you're in my house till 18 years old. After that, you're on your own. Life is very hard when you're on your own, when your parent is used to telling you what to do. Then you don't know what to do and you just go freakazoid. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right because yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think things are changing in India, but like mm-hmm. I think the our Southeast Asian culture and even the family I grew up with and all that, uh, that 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 aspect is still there. And I think like overall, like when you do that, uh, you don't learn a lot of life's lessons until yeah. you're adult. And then when you, as you said, when you it's time to go on your own you are like okay now what nobody gave me a manual from 18 to 28 i mean that was very difficult 
So no, I agree, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like I really love this because conscious parenting. Like this is why I'm so much about like structured play with my son. You know, like everything that I'm doing, you're part of it. I mean, period. I mean, yes. like you yes. because people... they learn not by what we say; they learn yeah. by what we do. Exactly. If we teach them, if we are open, like you can have your bad days. Telling them, hey, daddy's having a bad day, mommy's having a bad day. It's okay. Like my child, even at this point, sometimes you'll see me mad and freaking out and you'll be like, it's okay, mommy. It's okay. And I'm like, oh, that just melts my heart. But mm -hmm. he knows because I've taught him that, that even when he's having his bad feelings and blowing up and having a tantrum, I'm like, okay, you're feeling angry. Like I'm Gujarati. So I'll, I'll teach yeah, him yeah. things and teach him feelings, words to feelings, not just, oh, nothing is happening. Get over it. No, it's fine. Don't, don't minimize it. Don't trivialize it teach them big feelings, teach them words to big feelings, allow them to have those feelings. You allow yourself to have those feelings and you tell them what you're feeling. So you show them that it's okay to have these feelings. I'm sorry, I blew up. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to hurt you. I love you and I still care about you. Right. The whole concept is a very holistic 360 concept. It's okay to blow up. It's not to, oh, let's not be sad or let's not be angry. They need to know what to do with those feelings. They need to know what right. those feelings are. They need to know what to do after they feel this, those things. And they need to know how to repair from those feelings. No, it's funny you said that because uh, we do the same thing. I I, I, yeah. I told him like, you are my accountability partner. Some days he will be like, Yada, you are grumpy. I'm like, okay, yeah. let me take a breath. And he's like, yes. take a breath. And I was yeah. like, okay. And so- you know, like so that fun. just like yes. it's just fun because he knows like as an adult, it, no one's perfect. And you're not yes. really showing you just like I'm always having everything together. They're yeah. they're gonna get confused when they're adult. They'll be like, How did my dad was all the time being perfect? Yes. No, yes. I wasn't. I just hid very well. Exactly. Exactly. And now they were confused, and now that will bring their self-esteem down. Like, what's wrong with me? Exactly. Versus like exactly. open up, just be human and yes. show them that hey, it's okay to be human. So yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yes, Gunjani, yes. again, thank you. Every time I talk to you, I mean, oh my God, like you bring so much wealth of knowledge. I mean, as I said, like, I really I'm love so excited. I'm, about some of these things. I'm so excited. Thank you for uh, doing another episode with me specifically on this topic. And uh, it's Sunday and yes. uh, I'm not going to hold you too long. <laughs> I know you have more uh, things to do, but thank you again uh, no, for joining. And thank um, you anytime. Good luck with your uh, podcast. I know your podcast is like really going good. And yes, uh, really I am listening to a few of them. Thank you and, for connecting uh, me to all the other fellow podcasters and all the people. It's been such a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Hey, I mean, you bring so much knowledge. Uh, these these knowledges are very difficult unless, you know, honestly, to be straight up honest, like until you pay for it, like a therapist yes. and all that, right? And there yes. are people who don't have that resource, especially in this unprecedented times of COVID. Yep. So one of the reason I do what I do is like at least someone who's listening to my that. podcast or your podcast, exactly. even if they don't go, yes. they can go on your website and watch the blog. access to therapy, uh, Rish. And right. you know, I find that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast, because I know that as much as I want everybody to be in therapy, not everybody geographically has access to it, financially has access. It is expensive. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. My fees range anywhere from $125 to $200 an hour. It's not right. cheap every week. Right. But it has a time and a purpose and you have to tell yourself, hey, 
if you can buy shoes, bags, or for men, all these watches and suits and cars, are is it important for you to invest in your mental health so right. that you can have the mindset, you can go from come from a place of healing, you can, you know, be at a place where you are the best version of yourself, you know, because right. we all go through things. It's up to us to be the better version of ourselves. So one of the reasons why these podcasts are important is just so that you can be more learned, you can learn more, you can educate yourself more, and you can heal more so you can heal other people around you. Just like hurt people hurt other people, oh, absolutely. heal people, heal other people. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gunjani. And I will uh, see you guys on another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. So here's to the end of this episode. And as I said, uh, feel free to check Gunjani's uh, podcast and I'll have all of it on my show notes. Uh, let me know how you guys like these episodes and uh, feel free to tag Dads and Deadlifts. Uh, feel free to tag Traumatic Transformations podcast and uh, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.